Who's digging some of the freaky looking people running around here in hospitality team? Some unusual looking people at the Soraka tell you. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Everyone's engaging and being creative. How many people know God's a creative God? He's always creating. That's why we can't figure him out. We try and figure him out. As soon as we think we've got him nailed down, he creates something else. That's why it says, in the beginning God created. He created you and me. And you know, The reality is that in the fullness of what God has created, the Bible says that our minds are actually too small to contain what he has for us. And so there's always the understanding or the realisation that we're coming into more. Because that's what the truth says. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Some say no heart has, has these things haven't entered the heart. Or it says that no mind has conceived what God has in store for what? For those who love him, and it comes via the Spirit of God. So our mind is too small to contain what he wants to do through you, to you, as his body, yes? If we try and understand God with our minds, guess what? He'll be a very small, limited being. Because we are, in comparison to him, a very small, limited being. When I think of his creation, when I think of me alone and the design of, of the way my body works and then you start looking at the galaxies and the stars and how small the sun, sorry, the earth is compared to the sun and so on and it goes beyond, you start realising to think that we can fully understand or narrow God down to our minds is quite ridiculous. I'd say it's on the verge of insanity if I'm being honest. And so our minds can't contain what God wants to show us. Our eyes haven't yet perceived. Our ears haven't yet heard. But our spirit can. Our heart can. And we've looked at this over time, that understanding starts in the heart of a person, Jesus said. And then it makes its way up to the mind through a process of the Holy Spirit to be renewed. And my prayer today is that your heart, your spirit can capture or catch some of the things that I'm going to say. Because today I'm laying a platform. I'm going to be a little bit artistic and try and paint a picture for us. And bear with me because I've never been a great painter. My people tend to look like stick figures. Anyone in my camp? <laughs> Thanks. But I want to try and paint a picture of some things today that you may go, I've heard that, I know that. And that's cool. While at the same time, I want to challenge that perspective and say, if you know it, is it changing you? Has the knowledge of what you know, you think you know, is it actually changing you? Is it transforming you? Because it's supposed to. See, truth isn't just to stay in our minds. Truth is to literally set us free. If you're coming into truth, it will set you free. Paul talks about real knowledge. So what's that? What's the difference between knowledge and real knowledge? I'd say to you, real knowledge is truth that gets on the inside of you that actually starts to form you and change you on the inside. So you are different. It's not just knowledge that sits there and you think you know it until you know it's bigger than that. That's a start. But if it stays there, it remains small. Proverbs 25.2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of a king to go search it out. It's the glory of our Father to conceal a matter. But a king who loves the Father, who's in relationship with the Father, will want all that the Father has for him or her. So I want to start by asking this a question. And I believe it's a very important question. The question is this. Does God have a macro plan for you and I? Does God have a macro plan for his church? And we know the church is not a building. We know it's not a destination point. It's God's people. Or is he making it up as he goes along? Does he get up because he is the creator 
If you go, today I think we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll do this. What's the answer? It's a question. Feedback time. (laughs) Does God have a macro plan? Good. And I reckon it's a bit of both really, isn't it? I think he leads us and he says do this to us and do that, but so what I want to talk about today, I believe it's critical, in fact it's essential that we come to understand, if we don't already, that God has a macro plan. And this macro plan has been outworking itself since the beginning of creation. And the role of you and I, the church, is to be able to see what that macro plan is and live in an accordance to it. So we can participate in it now and in the future. And it's outworking itself today as we speak. You might like to say the clock's ticking. And I'm going to say it again. As the church, we have to be aware that one, there is a plan. Two, we have to be able to see it as his people. God wants us to see it. He wants to see what's for us. It's bigger than what we know today. So we can, why? Participate in it now here on earth. Bring glory to his name. But also that we participate in the future. And I'm going to unpack some of these things. Because if you'd asked me two years ago, I'll just share a little bit of my testimony, what the macro plan of God was, I would have said it's this. Get as many people saved as we can. I was committed, dedicated to getting as many people as I could in the the boat going to heaven and trying to motivate and mobilise every Christian I could to do that. Then the macro plan was to get them discipled. Disciple them, disciple them, disciple them, disciple them. I don't really know what into, but let's just disciple them. (laughs) Disciple them into number one. Get as many people saved. And then heaven was going to arrive. And I'd be in glory and that'd be all over and that'd be it. And I didn't really know much beyond that point. But I started thinking about that and God started leading me on a process. And part of my journey was a good friend of mine coming to me and I've shared this but I'm going to share it again and say, Greg, I've got some things that I need to share with you. I've got some things that I need to share that God's been talking to me about for you. But I've been a little bit afraid that you're not going to be able to or you won't see this and so this could affect our relationship. He said, but the time's come, I need to share it. And I said, share away. And he shared me a paradigm that wasn't that paradigm, wasn't that macro plan. And I went, oh, that's different. And then he said this most awesome thing, harrowing thing, chilling thing that I've remembered to the day. And he said this, he said, Greg, he said, we've agreed that this paradigm's not your paradigm. Yep. He said, now... He said, if I'm deceived, he said, do you love me enough that you would walk with me to bring me back from my deception? Or are you going to cut me here today and leave me in my deception? Powerful, powerful question. What is the church called to do? Love. Am I going to love my brother when I don't necessarily have his paradigm? I'm just going to cut him off. See ya. What would have happened if Jesus had decided to do that for us? But I'm, I've got this dilemma. I'm at this T intersection point because I'm thinking, man, is this guy a little bit nuts? Or am I blinded? Am I not seeing things? Is he, does he have a greater level of sight or understanding that I don't have that God has put him in my life right now that I would come into this level of understanding. So I have a decision to make. I have a choice to make. You know what? I'm so glad I chose to journey together with this man, loving one another, seeking the Holy Spirit together. And as he shared with me Scripture, going to the Scripture and asking the Spirit of God to reveal it to my heart, knowing it couldn't come to my mind first. And as I journeyed that for 18 months, today my macro plan looks a little bit bigger. And I don't just believe it, I'm convicted of it. 
And that conviction has changed me. God said, I'm going to dismantle you, Greg. You know how nice that is? To be dismantled. And all the pieces laid out. And then put back together. And so I can no longer say to you today, it is all about the lost. And it's all about discipleship. And I'm wondering I'm going to go to heaven. That, hear me, is incredibly important. But it is part of a much bigger plan. It is incredibly important because everybody is invited to what I believe now, what I believe now is, a, is the macro plan of the Father. And so I really want you to hear me there. I'm not saying we just don't go out and reach the lost, we don't decide, of course we do, it's all part of it. But my picture got in fact, the picture was always there. It felt like God took me up to another level that I could actually see what was now in the picture because I was at this level and now I can see at a greater level. And Chris spoke last week. If you hadn't get his message, go here. He spoke this powerful message about blindness exposed. And you know what? My testimony is my blindness was exposed. But it was an awesome thing. It's an empowering thing. It's an encouraging thing. The enemy will try and condemn you. God wants to bring a conviction which stirs the heart of a person to start seeking. Why? Because God has concealed some things for kings who go after him. And so whatever I say today, hear me please, I say everything and as we unpack this in love, this is to bring us into a place where we are hungry motivated, inspiring, wanting more of him. The enemy may be trying to bring it to a place of, I'm not in that zone, I must be a loser. I must be useless because I don't, whatever, understand how to read, pray. No, let's journey together. Let's journey together, loving one another. Just a little side note. Do you know the greatest evangelism strategy for the church? Anyone know what it is? Loving one another as Christ loves, then a world would know that he was sent for them. Why? Because the love of God comes out of us and a world can see it and they can't find it in the world. That's the greatest evangelism strategy for the church and then we go and we preach. Because now we actually have something tangible ready to preach. We have love in our hearts. And when you bring love and the word of God, there is power. But so often we want to go and tell everybody without loving one another. Why? Because it's too hard. It's way too hard. I'd rather just go and tell everyone, I don't want to love this person, put up with this person and all their stuff. That's going to require me to change. Mm-hmm. And I know he's been dismantling me and it ain't, hard. It ain't easy. Because why? Because it's the letting go of whose will. And we are all invited to partake. <laughs> How many of us have ever said this? Or maybe you're still saying it. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I don't know what it is. I'm still looking for it. Well, I hope I've got some good news for you today. And the first one of those is you won't find, you find your will inside his will. He has this macro plan that's unfolding. We will find our calling, our destiny, our purpose, the niche of what he is calling us to inside that plan. It is not found outside of it. If it is, I would say it's not the will of God for you. And so often we go and try and find something that doesn't actually exist. We go looking down rabbit holes and rabbit warrens looking for this thing called the will of my life and he's going and it's right in front of us and we go, no it's not, no it can't be that, that's way too simple. That's the point. God made it so simple we'd never miss it. But we do. We do. We miss things. I've been missing things in here for 13 years. He started to peel things back and show me through his word, pictures and patterns. And so 
We find our purpose inside his greater purpose. And so what is this macro plan? I love this statement. There is no commissioning without submission to the mission. Let me read that again. There is no commissioning with Christ without submission, dying to oneself, allowing him to purge you of yourself. Self is such a powerful thing, isn't it? It's a poison. We've been poisoned with this thing called self, and he is selfless. But there is no commission without submission to his mission, his bigger plan. I think the church hasn't done a great job at preaching Jeremiah 29.11. It's the search where it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans do not harm you, blah, 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 blah. It goes on. And it's an awesome passage. But we've taken that truth, I believe, and we've morphed into something that it never was supposed to be. And so what we've done is we've created this mindset that everybody's trying to run around and find these two billion plans and we're not looking to the plan to find our plan. Hence, we're getting on board with what he's called us to do. He said, go into nations, disciple nations, go in and preach the gospel, everybody. Go in and, and release these prophetic gifts and pray this way and, and, and be this people of power that I've called you to be because there's genuine power in you. I put my power in you to accomplish something, my macro plan. Now and in the future. But so often we can be looking for things and they are staring us right in the face. You know, when Jesus came to the Pharisees and he stood in front of them, these men had been praying the greatest commandment their whole life. Morning and night, they would pray that prayer. And then when the one they were praying about comes and stands in front of them, in the flesh, they did not recognize him. I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. That there can be things maybe in front of us that we aren't seeing. Why? Maybe because we are slightly blinded like Christ, uh, Chris talked us about, taught us on. Maybe our presuppositions have got in the way of the Word of God. And so someone on a pulpit says something, so we think that must be, we don't go to the Word of God. Guys, everything I say today, go to the Word of God. Be like a Berean. They were a group of people that were, they came in and they were excited about what they were about to hear. They came in with a heart ready to listen, but then they went to the Word of God and discerned it for themselves. Jesus said, I've come to do the will of my Father. And as his followers, we are to be no different. See, why did Jesus say throughout the Gospels in Matthew, Mark and Luke, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? I don't know about you guys, but that is the greatest challenge thrown out to mankind. Deny yourself. Do you realise that the level of your denial will determine where you'll end up? In with him. The level of your denial will determine how much you know him. The level of your denial to self will determine what you'll come into. Deny the way you think you think it should be done. Pick up your cross. Someone knew in Israel, if someone was picking their cross up, they were going to be crucified. They were going to die. And then come and follow me on the most incredible journey where I will show you things, teach you things that will blow your little mind apart of what I have in store for those whom I love, who I died for, who I went to the cross for. So you could come into the most incredible life here on earth and in the future. But it will cost you every little thing. And there's patterns in it in the Bible. There are men that come up 
It says, many disciples. Not just believers. There's a difference between believers and disciples. It's easy to believe. It's another thing to be a disciple of Christ, to allow him to teach and live in his teachings. It says, many disciples walked away from him because his teaching got too hard. And he looks at these men and he says, are you going to? And to me, Peter says this beautiful thing. He says, duh, where are we going to go? I don't think he said it like that, but... <laughs> it's like, you know what? doesn't matter if they kill me. doesn't matter if they persecute me. doesn't matter what is lies ahead of me. Where am I going to go? There is no other answer. There is no other way. It's you. It's you. Come follow me. What? Into the most incredible relationship known, but it will cost you everything. If we want to live in the fullness of what he has for us. So he gives you the ticket. He says, Kirk, I've given you the ticket. I went to the cross. I paid the price of sin and the power of sin. I've done everything that you need now. Now go and inherit what you possess and walk into and come into a greater depth of understanding of what is for you as my church, as my bride. And we see many people can't, aren't prepared maybe to pay that price. They're still saved, still Christians, but there's this greater thing. See, Jesus said this in Luke 18.8, Will I find faith on earth when I return? There's a question that the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings asks. Will I find faith on earth when I return? Not, I'm not talking about faith to believe for a broken arm or faith to you know, believe in something that God's spoken to you about. I'm talking about faith, not only in those things, but to see and believe the macro plan that God has, the big picture. And as we engage in that, our lives here on earth start to shift and change and be moulded so the impact we have on earth is the same impact that the sun had. Because what did the sun say in John fourteen twelve? I, God, tell you, my church, the truth. You will do what I have been doing, even greater things than what I've done. So, what is this macro plan that I'm talking about? And I'm just going to keep saying it. I'm not saying this is a thus saith the Lord. I'm saying this is what I believe. In my last two years that God has taken me on a journey and a process of dismantling some of my thinking and building back some of my thinking on a spirit-led journey of seeking the Holy Spirit, the one that says I will lead you into all truth. Not just part of truth, but all truth. And so now I'm at a point in my own life going, what don't I know? What don't I know, God? Rather than I thought I had it all nailed down. Now this is going to blow you away. You ready for this first one? I'm imagining just to see this. Everybody laid out, okay? First one's to know him intimately. And all that big that, and everyone's like, oh, is that it? That may be simple, but that is so deep to know him intimately. He is our inheritance. It's him. Come follow me. Where are we going? To know the Father. God is simple, his word is simple, but he is deep. What's the church built on? The revelation of the Christ. Who's the church? We are. God is trying to build in us structures and a heart that is built on solid foundations. And that will happen. How? through the revelation of the Son. The Apostle Paul caught this, saw this, preached this 
And we're going to tackle some of these things. Come with me to Philippians 3. Because look at the power. Look at the, look what can happen to a person when they actually come to know the Father intimately. Philippians 3 verses 2. I'm going to read it reasonably quickly, 2 to 9. You run here for a couple of hours this morning? <laughs> okay, here we go. It says, The goal of life in my Bible. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now listen, listen to his resume. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness which is in the law found Blameless. This man was the Jew of the Jews, Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. I've got zeal, I'm passion, I'm out to destroy. He was, in their eyes, you could call him the man, the Terminator. Paul the Terminator. I'm living this thing, I've got this thing, I know what it is, I'm I'm on a journey, I'm going to kill the church, destroy the church for you God, in your name, and I'm righteous by the law, the Ten Commandments, I'm righteous. But, oops, he starts discovering some things, doesn't he? He discovers a person before this, then he writes, but whatever things were gained to me, This is in verse 7. Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All these things, I now consider them loss. The man built his life on them. The man built his identity on them. And he's saying all these things now, I consider them loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things now going forward to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is just a whole lot of codwash compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing this man. Why can, how can a man say that? How can someone say that it's built their whole life on an identity of pride and, and thinking that they know God and all these things they genuinely didn't, they genuinely thought they had, he genuinely thought he was the real deal. And he meets Christ, not in his head, in his spirit. And now this man can say this incredible thing that nothing, my past and everything going forward, compares to knowing the surpassing value of the Christ Then he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Here you go, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. So I have a question. Why is it so important that we know him? Because it's those who know him and love him who are laying their lives down for him, being faithful what God has given them, that God will entrust his riches to in the future. This man is radically changed from an encounter where he falls into knowing the Christ. And his life starts to shift and change. Deny yourself, Paul. Pick up your cross and follow me. The whole point of knowing the Son is to live the life worthy of what the Son did on the cross. Yes? 
The Bible says God roams the earth to and fro looking for a heart that is wholeheartedly devoted to him. If we are faithful in the little, we will be faithful in with the much. Just come with me to Ephesians 1, verses 18. It's not about perfection. It's about knowing him. David wasn't perfect, was he? But you know what? He knew God. He's a beautiful picture for us of a man who was wholeheartedly devoted to the Father, to the one he followed. He got things wrong. He messed up. But you know what he did? He turned. He repented. He turned to God. God forgave. And through that incredible relationship of knowing him, he lived out his life. And Paul's seeing all these things. Before in verse 17, it's an incredible, powerful passage. Maybe I'll start there. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is he's praying for this church, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The revelation and the knowledge, the knowing, not just knowing about, but knowing. Now here we go. I pray. That's why prayer is so powerful. Prayer. Our prayer room should be full, guys. Praying, praying, praying. If you want to come to a Sunday morning, sorry, Friday morning at 7 a.m. here, you'll find me and some other people just praying. Love to see you there. Praying God will be done in this place, in this nation, in this city. Prayer, prayer, prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, here we go, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Second question, what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And I'm going to give you three things and over time, I'm not going to go through them today, I'm just going to just give you them and then as we go forward I'm going to rip each one of these apart plus knowing him. So the first part, is to know, is to discover the most incredible relationship with the Father right here, right now, through the Spirit. Second part of God's macro plan is to be part of the bride of Christ that God is preparing unto himself and always has been. Come with me to Revelation 19, verses 7 to 9. The second part, the macro plan is God is preparing a bride unto himself. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Say, I am making myself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It then says, he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. How many married ladies do we have in here today? What sort of preparation did you go through in getting ready for your day? When did that preparation actually start? Was it of a six-year-old little girl who started to dream about their wedding day? It was too long ago, someone just said, maybe you need to get married again. This tells me that this bride is making herself ready, has made herself ready for a time in the future. 
Are you making yourself ready? We're going to look at some of these things. I'm going to peel some of these things back. What are the righteous acts of the saints? Spirit-led works from the Father. Not any works. Through knowing Him. Hearing His voice. Allowing this internal transformation. We're here, first and foremost. And then stepping out into an obedience of what the Father asked me to do. And Jesus patterned this. He even said, I can only do what my Father tells me to do. Because here, I'm reliant on the Spirit and the power and my Father. Because I am a man like me and you. The third part is to rule and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ, which is Revelation 20 verse 6. Go and have a look at that passage and I'm going to rip that and take us to different parts of the Bible as well. And the fourth part is understanding our part now in the kingdom of God. Understanding the kingdom of God. Jesus said the parable of the sower, you don't understand this parable, it's a parable, it's a message about the kingdom. It's when the kingdom is preached, Jesus will return. Not the gospel, the kingdom. The gospel is inside the kingdom message. And it's fascinating when you go look at that parable of the sower. Four environments, they're all Christian. We're going to rip that apart. Where's the kingdom of God? Where did Jesus say the kingdom of God was? It's within us. Great. It's in us. Go have a look at John 3, 3 and 5 as well. That's Luke seventeen twenty one. The kingdom of God, first and foremost, okay, hear this again, first and foremost, is about an internal, invisible transformation of a person's heart. You can't necessarily see it. That's why you can be in a meeting like this and one person's falling asleep and the other person's got their note and, and they're alive. They're going, oh mom, this is awesome, this is feeding me. Because what's it about? It's about allowing Jesus more and more dominion or rulership or space in you. Why? Because we're becoming like him. So the kingdom of God is in us. And it's about his rulership, his dominion, his word, his way. Deny the way you think. Deny your will and grab hold of my will. Guys, our spirit's saved, but our soul's not. Your spirit's saved, it's going to a place, but your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, it needs to bow its knee and come under the authority to who? To the King of Kings. To the Lord of Lords. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and now let's go on this journey, because I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. Your mind hasn't conceived what I have in store for you. Your eye hasn't seen it, your ear hasn't heard it, but your spirit and your heart can capture it if you're open to it. And the enemy's doing right now, he's coming right here. He's starting to say some things to some of us. You know, we've got to stop that, take control of it, bind it, and walk forward in him. I love what Chris spoke last week. Listen, these are Chris's words, so if you don't agree with them, see him. <laughs> oh, that brother needs to get saved. <laughs> here you go, okay? Chris spoke a message called Blindness Exposed and he shared how we are living with a measure of blindness and then he said this, God is focused on the inward transformation of the heart but we focus on what God will do through a person which is outward, different mindset. God focuses on that which is unseen but in the very depths of our heart. We want the quick fix that is noticed by all. We want the instant click of the button sort of change but God's not in a hurry when it comes to you being formed or morphed into the image of his son. You're too valuable to him, for him, to do a cheap job on you. He's building you for eternity, 
Not a one day gone tomorrow wonder. Why? Because our inheritance is the bride of Christ. He's preparing a bride that looks like him. That's why our heart is so, so important that we don't... I always think the Bible says, guard your heart. Don't allow things into your heart. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. Be careful of the yeast of the religious spirit, the Pharisees. Don't allow that into your heart because if it gets in your heart, it will affect you. A little bit of yeast in the dough takes over the whole loaf, doesn't it? I love this. You're too valuable to him for him to do a cheap job on you. He is building you for eternity and not a one day gone tomorrow wonder. Why is God building us for eternity? Why is the condition of our heart so important? Because we are preparing for the most intimate relationship, a marriage, number one. And the byproduct, I believe, of this will be we will rule and reign with him in a thousand year Rain. The more we know him, the more we will understand these three things. The bride of Christ, ruling and reigning with him, the kingdom of God. And as we go forward, I'm going to unpack all these things in detail and bring forth what I believe the Holy Spirit is showing me. Now, when you look at those things, not so much the knowing him, but the other three parts, two-thirds of them are what? There are an eternal purpose. One is about the now. Two-thirds is about eternity. Let me read you the words of Paul. This is in Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul uses words like, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a pilgrim journeying through this life. But I'm going to a greater destination. I'm seeing some things, an eternal purpose for my life, And I've captured the revelation of those purposes and it's making me live a life here on earth of radical obedience. I'm allowing myself to go through and be persecuted for the things and glory is being brought unto the Father. See, he caught a revelation of what was happening here and it empowered his now. That's the point. And for too long... The enemy has got away with trying to teach the church, don't worry about eternity, it'll take care of itself, just worry about the now. But the Bible says you've got to have one eye there and one eye here and walk in the accuracy of that. Because this, actually if you can capture the the fullness of it, will empower how you live here. Go back to my scripture of Paul, what did he say? Everything now that I've caught, knowing the Father... The surpassing greatness of knowing him. I'm starting to see pictures, patterns that I've not seen before. And everything before is just a whole lot of rubbish compared to that. And my life now here on earth will be lived out. And most people will think it's radical Christianity, but it's just Christianity. And you know what he says, which scares me? Imitate me as I imitate the Christ. Anyone up for that? Imitate my life as I imitate the Christ. See, he was a figure for the church. He wasn't just a man. He was like a, a, a typology for us, something to live by, someone who was like us, like Jesus was. But man, this is Paul. Maybe Jesus, we can sort of get, oh, you know, but he sort of was the son of God. And, you know, he was... But Paul, he's like me. He caught something. Okay, let's go to Matthew 6. I know I'm giving you a bit. Um, I've tried to change this five times. <laughs> Up until about an hour ago. Matthew six nineteen. 
says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've read that in the past and got that round the wrong way. I've read where your heart is, there your treasure will be. No, where your treasure is, what you value, there you will find a person's heart. What you, I mean, what you're living for, what controls you, what maybe what you're trying to do in your will, and where that is, guess what the person's heart will be. But where's our heart to be? Submitted to Him. Seek first ye kingdom and His righteousness. And I will add everything unto you. Everything. Not a little bit. Now and in the future. Because sight of our future inheritance and powers, sorry, it is critical we as His church have one eye on the eternal purpose and one on, eye on the now. Why? Because sight of our future inheritance empowers and changes our now. And I am personally convicted that our lives here on earth truly matter because the life we live now will have massive ramifications for the life we live and experience there. Jesus is returning, isn't he? I don't know when. I'd like to get the heads up on that one. But I don't know when. But he talks to us about his return. He says, be watchful. He says, be ready. He says, look to the signs. Look what's happening in the earth. He gives us a book called Revelation, the revelation of the Christ. And talks to us about these eternal purposes, what's happening, what you're coming into. And the church, somewhere along the line, has sort of lost biblical prophecy. And what we've done is we've gone, you don't worry about that, just live for the now and everything will be sweet. And you know what, we put both eyes on here and we've even forgotten about half the book that exists. And he's screaming at us. And I can't help but think, if the people of Christchurch knew the earthquake was going to hit, everybody would have been left Christchurch, correct? Do we know that there are things in this book of an eternal purpose and he is returning? We're supposed to know that here, not just here, here, and the revelation of that is to empower our now. See, what happens is you get people two eyes on here and it's all about the now or two eyes up here and they're focusing on you know, dates and, and oh, look at this and look what's happening around the world and all this stuff and both are wrong. It's understanding this eternal purpose which is two-thirds. Paul said, I'm not here. I'm a man. I'm an ambassador from another kingdom. My kingdom is of another world. I only live here for 75 years if I'm lucky. 80 at a push. Where am I spending my eternity? I believe the church is invited to minister to God in the most intimate relationship known to man which he gives us as a typology which is marriage. And I'm going to rip this apart more and more. It's the enemy's plan to keep us thinking with just two eyes here and not one eye here and one eye there. And the Bible is a very well-balanced rounded book, yes? Let me just quickly give you this and then we'll... I just want to give you an example of this because this is where it can be so subtle and we don't even know it. I'm not going to give you the name of this author, I'm not going to give you the name of the person, but it's a very well-known book that was written and a lot of people have read it. And this is nothing against the author of the book. This is just trying to make a point of how easy it can be when we can slightly just twist or reshape things that aren't fully accurate. 
So this is what the author says. Today there's a growing interest in the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. When will it happen? It's not about when, it's why. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, the disciples asked him the same question and his response was quite revealing. This is what the Bible says. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Correct. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, now this is what the author says. When the disciples wanted to talk about prophecy, Jesus quickly switched the conversation to evangelism. Did he? He wanted them to concentrate on their mission to the world. In essence, he was saying, the details of my return are none of your business. Jesus goes to great lengths to tell the church about what his return is going to look like. There's even a whole book written called Revelation on it, the revelation of the Son, the eternal purposes of the Son. And you know what this thing? It subtly plants seeds into our minds. They go, oh, you don't have to worry about that. I just live for me, live for me now. Wrong. And the enemy's working and weaving because of maybe presuppositions of what we think or what a preacher says or what a well-known pastor who has a huge church writes a book says. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. It says, blessed are those who read the book of prophecy of the Christ. It's the enemy's plan to get us over-emphasizing and under-emphasizing things. A lot of us focus on all of the now and not worrying about the future, or all on the future and not concerned with the now. But the church must walk with one eye on both if we are to be the church which the Bible speaks of, because Jesus did and he is our example. I'm going to finish with this one scripture and then we'll wrap it. It's out of 1 Corinthians 7. Once again, it's Paul. Why was Paul so powerful for Jesus Christ on earth? Because he had a revelation of Jesus. He knew who Jesus was intimately. And through this revelation, he saw a picture of his future. And he writes about this throughout his letters. And then he says, imitate me as I imitate the Christ. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to start at 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And all the men went... (laughs) He's not saying, go lose your wife. He's not saying, get rid of her. He's not saying that at all. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of the world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, Not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure, here we go, undistracted devotion to the Lord. What's he saying? Nothing wrong with being married. Nothing wrong with having kids. But don't lose as your number one priority him. Don't put anything else 
above him. Because if you do, you start going down pathways leading away from things that I have for you. Seek first the kingdom and my righteousness and I will add those things to you. And when you get them, you'll actually carry them lightly, you'll be able to handle them and you will love them with an unconditional heart like me. That's a challenge, isn't it? That's an incredible challenge. But I'm convicted the things that God has in store being made into the image of His Son partaking being invited to a wedding and a wedding feast becoming this bride of Christ from that perspective as a byproduct partnering with Him ruling and reigning with Him but my life here on earth really, really matters my heart posture really, really matters not about my salvation, about my inheritance. My salvation is not in question. God did that, bought that, paid for that. It's done. But my inheritance, I am to inherit. And as we go forward, I'm just going to take each element and probably, I don't know, six weeks, seven weeks and just rip it. Take one scripture and rip it and rip it and try and paint it at different angles for us. If you're in a life group, can I encourage you to take this and just take some of these things and go and look, knowing that our minds are too small to handle what he wants to show us in our spirits, in our hearts. Paul said, I've got all this, but I have not yet obtained to a prize that I'm going after. And I can see it. That's why Chris's message was so powerful. Sight empowers now. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just want to pray for every single one of us. Lord, I want to pray that we would contend in love for what we've heard. We will dialogue together. Lord, we will all dialogue together. And Lord, there are things that you have that you're revealing right now. The bride is being preached. It's, 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 it's unfolding, Father, around the globe. Lord, allowing you to truly be King and Lord of our lives, allowing the kingdom of God to be formed in us through an intimate relationship, obedience, being led by your Spirit. And from that, laying hands on the sick and prophesying and moving in the gifts, from that divine order, Lord, of loving you first with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Father, I pray we'd be encouraged today. I pray and I bind any words of the enemy that wants to come and sow seeds of doubt and seeds of lies and confusion. Pray, God, that we would be strong. We wouldn't let the enemy come and pinch the seed of the kingdom that Matthew talks about. But we would allow it to go deep into our soiled hearts that it would produce a crop of 30, 60 and 100 times what was sown. There is power contained in the kingdom. Seed. Open our eyes, Lord, the song says. Open our spirits to receive. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for what was paid and paid and put for at the cross. But I thank you that you call me to follow you beyond the cross, to move through the cross. Your word says, and come in and find pastures of life and freedom to know you, and from this place live. live a life as the Bible says it's worthy whatever that looks like for me as an individual whatever you'd have everybody do Lord that we would be trusting in you living for you dying to ourselves and living for your purpose your macro plan 
I pray that the eyes of our hearts, the words of Paul, would be enlightened to the glory, to the riches of the saints in Christ Jesus. And that we would be a people with one eye on eternity and one eye here planted firmly on earth. And we would live lives that would bring you glory on earth waiting for our King to return empowered by the future living a life of power here and now on earth thank you Jesus